Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on what's happening on the ground and to learn about new trends emerging within the construction industry. This show is brought to you in partnership with Place Engage, a data-driven platform for more successful public consultation and community engagement for your next development project. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Fox, CEO of Supplyo. Rob, you're very welcome. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Hi, Carol. Great to see you too. And um, Rob, most people will be familiar with you from Site Passport. Supplyo is a lovely, shiny, uh, very well executed new brand. Talk to us about the the rebrand from uh, Site Site Passport to Supplyo. Yes, um, we we had a rebrand uh, in September, and uh, it's it's gone extremely well. Um, I suppose we just wanted to freshen up the brand. We've been in business for about six years. And based on our feedback and the type of work that we're doing with our customers and how we've evolved over the past six years, we felt it was time for a rebrand. And I suppose the name Supplyo is what speaks probably more accurately to what we do and the value that we provide. Um, and, and also, I suppose it was timely uh, that we have just recently launched into the UK market. So we felt it was a good time to, to launch the brand and uh, it's been it's been well received, which is great. Very good. And look, you're absolutely right. Supplyo is a really good uh, term because obviously your focus is on helping the construction industry to expand and improve relationships and really solidify their supply supply chain. So you might just talk to us, maybe start from the beginning for anybody who's not familiar with the offering. Um, you know, because we have seen post-COVID that there's been a huge uptake in construction technologies, um, you know, and, and but construction companies can still be confused and project owners can still be confused about how all of these different technologies integrate and play well together. So you might just yes. take us through from the initial offering how Supplyo works. Yeah, and that's interesting. It's a very good point, Carol, in relation to the confusion around, you know, how different technologies perform and how they integrate. And, it, you know, construction is a very, very busy industry and people trying to get the headspace to look at their existing technology stack, if you want to call it that, and to consider what else improvements they might bring or what else they might bring in. It, it's very, very difficult. So we actually spend a lot of time working with our customers, helping them understand their own technology stack and then helping them understand where supply fits into that stack. And 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 we talk about the trends, I suppose, in, in construction technology. That's also interesting because naturally enough, the focus in construction is actually on site. It's actually on the building piece. Um, and there's lots of software there and a lot of companies have adopted technologies to help them manage you know, the, the performance on site and the actual projects. I suppose what we're seeing now is that a lot of companies have got that figured out and now they're actually looking to say, okay, well, what, what can we do in the pre-construction space that actually will help improve how we perform on site? So that's where we come in. We're very much in the pre-construction uh, space and we're very much about helping companies understand, I suppose, the who's who of supply chain in the market, who are all the subcontractors out there they could be working with that they're not working with, that might actually be a very good fit for them as a company and, and a very good fit for their projects. And it's building relationships, as you said, with those companies, um, getting to know them, getting to understand them, um, you know, but also understanding specifically what their capabilities are and what their capacity is. So, because at, at the end of the day, it's a matching exercise. You know, and, and as I said, construction is highly competitive. You know, the margins are thin, the risks are high. So choosing your right subcontractors and the right supply chain partners can be the difference between success and failure. So that's what we do. We ultimately help main contractors and property developers to find the best subcontractors out there that are best suited to them 
that are best suited to their projects. And we'll give them that critical balance between price and performance, because it can't be all about price. Subcontractors have to be able to do the job, capable of doing the job to perform. So it's this balance between price and performance. Um, I think that balance between price and performance should be pushing an open door to the industry that's been pushing for the same on tenders. You know, so, um, you know, this is something that the industry itself has been arguing for in, in relation to its own uh, winning tenders itself. So actually, um, that's almost given. And I want to return to talk about supply chain because obviously that's such a huge issue today. But um, just because I know there will be people listening in that might be struck. And I want to use the opportunity there. You mentioned um, that when you're speaking to potential new customers for the first time, you take the opportunity to help kind of walk them through their technology stack and where supply of fits into that. And this is something that I'm genuinely curious about because there's a widening gap between the best in class in terms of contractors who are the best in class and those that are really lagging behind. So, Talk to me about what a best-in-class technology stack looks like for project owners today. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I suppose I mean, the technology is just reflecting the existing process in construction. Like no technology company is reinventing the wheel. They're just trying to provide a better technology solution that streamlines and improves the process. So when we look at technology stacks with companies, we, we have a template that we lay out for them, which essentially starts at the the design, bidding, procurement, um, you know, tender handover and the construction phase and all the different elements of construction around health and safety and, and quality. So we we lay out that template. And then what we help them do is we help them overlay and say, well, at the moment, how do you do those different pieces? And some of it is a software that they might have been using for years that may or may not be happy with it, but they use it. And uh, some of it might just be internal processes. It might be email and Excel or the solution for that. And and that's very quickly and, and very easily set out for main contractors what their technology stack is in a context that makes sense to them. And and then after that, I suppose, we explain to them, we, we've no problem talking about other vendors because, you know, this is a we have to understand who's out in the market for so so we can explain to main contractors where we fit. And because that's one of the biggest challenges, where does supply all fit? So we would say to us across these different um phases of construction and states of construction, there are various um, technology you could use. So whether it's estimating software, whether it's site management software, um, and we look at where their gaps are and they say, okay, well, we have a system we're very happy with that does that. Uh, we have a system that we're not really happy with that does this. And we will give them potentially suggestions around what we have, what we hear back from the market about what works for different companies. So that's a very simple way, but a very effective way for people to get their head around have all this technology. And the interesting thing, Carol, I suppose, is that there's been this evolution of, of software over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe a construction, where 10 or 15 years ago, people were buying apps for everything. You know, it was like, I want an app for this. And we, we've talked to construction companies that said at one point they had 50 or 50, 60 applications being used in our company. And what we've seen then is, then, then the next phase was, well, actually, we want a system that does everything. <laughs> So lots of companies out there with, with the best of intentions said, we can provide, we can provide you a one-stop shop, best in class, we can do everything. So people got on board with those platforms and those platforms are very good. But what the feedback we got is that, and we continuously get is those companies usually start with, start with a core offering. And that's the bit that's really, really good and works really, really well. When they start to build too much around that, it starts to get a little bit fuzzy and it doesn't work as well. It looks good, 
And people often say to us, we get sold a dream and then the dream is not a reality. So now that the third sort of evolution of, of that is people are saying, okay, I actually need, I don't need 50 pieces of software. One isn't going to do it. And probably the right balance is for most companies is somewhere between between eight and 12 pieces of technology. Um, eight to 12 seems like a high number. So this is where the integration piece becomes key. And I know that's that's a shift I've really seen with uh, innovators and prop tech and construction technology founders over the last number of years that they're coming to the conclusion that actually, despite the rhetoric, despite the, the sales pitch, there is no one technology does all. And if you continue to sell that, I think you lose credibility in the marketplace where it's actually what you need to be selling is your ability to integrate with the technologies that have already been invested in and that are trusted. So essentially that means, um. so you're right, Companies don't want to use uh, a high number of different applications, but they do want to be able to centralize things in maybe a cloud-based uh, dashboard and integration where your stats can show up. And that is a really big part. And I think maybe that's the challenge that's still coming down the track. You know, we're seeing integrations can happen, but maybe the reporting functions aren't coming together in one dashboard. And I think that's, possibly where we're aiming for over the next kind of two to three years yeah no no agreed and and every time we talk to customers integrations is obviously a key focus but a lot of companies are still at the stage where they're actually trying to understand which individual technologies do the job well that needs to be done whether it's estimating whether it's procurement whether it's site management whatever it is and what we normally say to companies is you know yes the integration is is is, is important but don't get too hung up on the integration. What you do need to know is that if you are buying an existing software or a new software, are you going to keep an existing software that you know that at the right time in the future, that those systems will be able to talk to each other. But if you start with the integration and try and work it, people just, their heads get fried. So mm -hmm. it's just that the capacity is there to integrate and then make sure you're using the right solution. So that's what we normally say to our customers. Now, some of our customers are very sophisticated and are obviously using Power BI and they want everything to be bubbled up and to the into the Power BI to get this full dashboard. And some companies are doing that very, very successfully, but that's still quite a small number of companies are that, at that level. You know, and I think this comes back to our earlier point there about this gap widening between those best in class, those that are doing it very well, and maybe um, the laggards that will find it increasingly difficult to, to bridge that gap. And, um, you know, one thing I'm very conscious of, and particularly through the show, but actually across uh, across the day job as well, um, we have a huge focus on construction technologies. Um, and we're also very deeply um, involved in communicating the message that modern construction is so much more than boots on the ground. You know, we like to talk about um, the offsite and other modern methods of construction. We'd like to talk about the the different business functions that wrap around the, the delivery of construction services. But at the end of the day, this is still very much dependent on humans on the ground doing stuff. And I, I think um, there was a very good hoarding put up uh, on a building site that was shared virally online. And it uh, the, the hoarding around the building site just had the text, chat GPT, build me a building. And obviously, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the technology as much as uh, as we like, but we still are dependent on humans on the ground. And I think this is where the supply chain really emerges as 
you know, the potential to be the strongest or the weakest link for a construction for for a contemporary contractor. So um almost not not even stepping away from the technology, but even from the the human side of uh supply chain management, um, there's still a human dynamic at play here. How can technology help a contractor to expand their supply chain, whether it's because they're winning new projects in new regions and they need to expand in existing regions or actually develop a, a whole new supply chain in a region where they don't have the trust and the credibility and the reputation built up? Yeah, and, and, and that's a really good question. So I suppose if you take, as I might said earlier on, that 80% of the value of construction projects in supply chain. So whether you're sticking to your knitting and doing, you know, working in the same sectors in the same regions, you always need a good, solid, reliable supply chain to help you do that work. And you need to bring in fresh blood into that at times, naturally. You know, construction is very competitive. Um, you know, so that's, you've always got to keep the supply chain uh, fresh. Um, it, particularly, though, a lot of the companies we work with are going into new regions. And particularly, obviously, there's a lot of main contractors that are moving over more towards housing schemes and, and residential developments that might not have been their bread and butter before. And that's a whole new supply chain. So whether you're just trying to, you know, have better diversification and, and resilience in your existing supply chain across your existing contractors, or you need a whole new supply chain, essentially a new region or a new sector, as you said, Carol, it amounts to the same thing, I suppose. It's all about information and relationships. So our starting point is who's out there that works in that region, that works in that sector, that you need more subcontractors from? Or you just want to build out your, your your supply chain a little bit more. And then after that, it's getting to know those companies. It's starting to build that relationship. So we work with companies to help them reach out to the supply chain, you know, across those various uh, sectors and regions and to start to invite them in. And it's a much more strategic approach to building supply chain. So traditionally, main contractors would have expected the subcontractors to turn up, knock on the door and say, give us a job. That, that table has turned and has been turning for a long time. And, and the smarter contractors out there are realizing, you know what, we actually need to go on a marketing uh, campaign here, essentially. And I'll, I'll talk of marketing the supply chain is not something that main contractors typically think of. They very much market to their customers, which most people do, and to the architects who might be influential in giving their work. But now we see a lot of the companies we're working recognize, I have to market and embrace my supply chain and build relationships. But that has to be authentic and it has to be real. And I can't just keep using up supply chain. So that's what we help them is identify who's out there, help them identify who is more suited to them, and then build those relationships through the platform. And then also then it gets into, I suppose, a level of data analytics when you talk about you know the technology piece. Really, after you've built the relationship, the knowledge and the relationship of, of, the, of the market, then you're really trying to understand of all these companies we could be working with, which ones are most suited to this sector, for this client, in this region, for this type of job? And every job is different from the last one. So what we help contractors do is gather all of the data that they need to essentially be able to say, there's 100 electrical contractors that could on the surface do this job, but who are the five or six or seven that are most suited to this job? And that becomes essentially a question of having enough data, that data needs to be accurate and up to date, and you have to be able to analyze that data in a way that's you know, very simple and very straightforward. It gives you a simple answer is, as I say, out of 50, here's the five who are best suited to this particular project. Um, Rob, you mentioned there that Supplio, um, while six years in business, um, albeit under the other brand, has 
has in the last year um, expanded into the UK market. You know, we hear quite regularly on the show that the, the supply chain across the UK is a more mature supply chain. It is a better resourced supply chain. So it is easier for Irish companies expanding into the UK market to tap into um, a really well-developed supply chain, much more so than they can if they were moving from, say, Dublin down to Cork. Um, you know, so what differences are you experiencing um, in terms of the supply chain offering in, in the UK versus Ireland? Yeah, it, it is true that the supply chain in the UK is is probably just a little bit, a couple of steps ahead, but not not massively either, though, Carol. At the end of the day, it's a bit like the hoarding, the chat GPT. You know, people have to turn up on site. Humans have to turn up on site to do the physical work. So it comes down to the quality of those people and the companies. And they can have all the systems in place and everything else, and they can be geared up, but it comes down to the people. Um, but I suppose, you know, one of the differences, I suppose, maybe is that the the supply chain in the UK is slightly less fragmented and the companies are slightly bigger and have slightly better profile and visibility. And in Ireland, there's still a lot of companies that are very much, subcontract suppliers are very much under the radar, particularly in the regions that might have, have a very little or, or, or no um, you know, profile, online profile at all. So trying to unearth those companies uh, initially can be quite difficult for companies, uh, for contractors. So that's what we... That's what we do. And that's why you are asked to do these uh, your marketing piece to try and, you know, o- open up the doors and let people know that whoever's in town. But really, it boils down to, you know, it's a matching exercise. So it doesn't really matter to some degree how sophisticated the contractors are. You know, construction is such a broad church. Like even the biggest contractors in Ireland and in the UK do jobs from a million euros up to maybe 100 million euros. And it's horses for courses. So you need a particular caliber of contractor for the 100 million job. You need a different type of caliber for the 1 million job. That 1 million job might be a pharmaceutical job. So that's, it. you know, just because it's small doesn't mean you don't need very uh, highly specialized contractors. So that's what we come back. It's all about the information. It's all about the data. How do I know who's out there? How do I get enough information about these companies to be able to make better decisions around who I should be even talking to about the job? Never mind giving the job. Who am I going to get to price this job? So, you know, you know yourself that one of the most precarious times for a main contractor or even a property developer is when they're bidding for the work or they're trying to work on the feasibility. You know, if I go ahead with this job, am I going to make any money on it? And essentially, because of the 80% uh, uh, you know, factor that 80% of the value is the subcontractors, essentially, the main contractors and developers are relying on the subcontractors and suppliers to tell them what the price of something is on a given day. You have to ask the right subcontractors that question because one subcontractor would say that probably cost about you know two hundred grand. Somebody else might say it's one hundred fifty. Somebody else might say it's three hundred grand. Unless you know which of those companies has the experience and the capability of giving you the right price and a reliable price, you're kind of putting your finger in the air sometimes. And sometimes main contractors miss out on the job a job because they've taken a price that's too high from the wrong subcontractor. Sometimes to win a job. And they're taking the price from a subcontractor is too low and they find they have a hole in their bid. So we're very, very much about, you know, make sure the starting point with anything an estimated procurement is get the right prices from the right subcontractors. That's a good starting point. Well, let's let's take maybe even a, a broader look at bid management right now, because I, I, I think that that's something that is shifting quickly, um, you know, and there's 
I, I think it's something that companies thought they had streamlined very well because they were doing very successfully. They tended to fall into their niche and keep winning, winning the, the ones they expected to win. And it became, I don't want to say routine, but there was a certain amount of predictability around bids up until maybe the last 18 months. And we're seeing a shift now. So can you talk to us about some of the trends you're seeing in bid, bid management at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there there are changes, all right, and and obviously given the the issues with COVID and with Ukraine and all the other conflicts in the world and all the other challenges in the world, I mean, it has a massive impact on supply chain and the volatility of prices. You know, so you know the, the price you give somebody today could change tomorrow. You know, so that's still the biggest issue, and um, but you're still relying on on the sub supply chain who have the finger on the pulse to be able to give you those prices. I suppose probably one of the biggest shifts, and, and it hasn't really come about yet, but it's coming very, very quickly, is around ESG. Mm-hmm. And everybody talks about ESG, and people are really struggling to get their head around what does that mean. But in the context of your question, Carol, you know, when, when companies at, at the moment price work, they have to give a certain amount of information to say, you know, yes, we do certain things around ESG, and we will endeavor to make sure we can do all of these things around ESG. And, and, you know, that's those lists of questions are getting bigger and bigger and getting harder and harder to answer. The challenge with for estimating particularly is that jobs now in, in the future and, and when the CSSRD comes in, uh, regulations governing ESG essentially it, it come into place next year, all of those questions are going to have to be answered at the estimating stage. So everything is going to nearly have to be agreed exactly what products have been used, nearly exactly what subcontracts have been used. It's all going to be front-loaded. So there's going to be a whole lot more work that has to be done at the estimating stage because a project won't be able to be awarded unless all of the ESG information is satisfied or the questions are satisfied at the bid stage. You, you can't award a job and say, listen, as we hope now that you can meet the ESG criteria if you win this job. They have to be able to prove that they're going to be able to meet the ESG criteria when they're bidding for the job. So the ESG piece is, is going to become a much bigger factor for, for estimating and bid management. Um, I would I would very firmly hold the view that the companies I'm talking to, to today uh, confuse or conflate ESG with sustainability and sustainability and certainly environmental concerns are a part of ESG, but they completely overlook the social and governance. And in fact, in Ireland, I think we overlook the social to a really detrimental um to a detrimental extent and we see this done really well in the UK and I think this is one component that the that Ireland is falling very far behind on and I'm not sure how we're going to catch up but in terms of uh, the contractors that you're talking to whether they're your existing clients or potential would-be clients um, how ready are they to meet those requirements? They're, they're all struggling even the biggest companies are struggling because it's very relatively easy to get your own house in order. If you're a main contractor, you can talk about what you do and your impact in the environment and your electric cars and all, you know you measure your the energy that you're using on site. All those things are in your control. But again, when 80% of the action is in the supply chain, trying to get all that information from, and, and, and most projects, 50 or 60 different subcontractors and suppliers to give you all that information that you can then pass up the line to your clients and design team, that's where people are really, really going to struggle. And and that start that wheel is starting to sort of turn. So some of the, the tier one main contractors we work with, we're very specifically talking to them about that mm-hmm. because it comes down to, you know, criteria, like what are the criteria you're setting? And and the, so that biggest challenge at the moment is 
what are the questions that need to be asked of the supply chain to determine whether they're, from an ESG perspective, they're tier one, tier two, or tier three. So deciding what those questions are is, is, is the first thing. But what we bring to it is that we can help companies ask those questions of the supply chain and to be able to evaluate those answers and to be able to rank and rate those answers. Because if you know you have a very, very high bar when it comes to ESG for a particular clients, there's no point looking at you know 50 or 60 subcontractors. There's probably only eight or 10 that actually are going to be able to achieve those requirements. And if you potentially price a job from somebody in the tier three ESG world, you're not going to be able to do it. So that's that's a big challenge, but it's getting all that information from the supply chain, which is obviously global and completely fragmented. And you know, there's no end to the tail sometimes. And trying to get all that to surface all that information back up to be able to give a report to clients to say, we're meeting these criteria. That, that'll have to be done in the next six to 12 months to meet the, the, the new CSRD requirements. But there's a long way to go with that. But we, we believe we're well-placed to help companies that, like that, as, as are some of the partners we work with and a lot of the consultants out there. And sometimes, Robin, I I appreciate it can be a frustration, but sometimes you can know the problems that are looming for a sector. But if they don't, even they might be aware of them, but if they don't recognize them as problems, if they don't recognize the the gap that they're going to have to jump to get to the other side, then actually they're not likely to resource the problem. So um, just in terms of the the companies that you're sitting down with, what are they seeing as the priorities kind of for the next 12 to 18 months or where are they where you know what do they foresee as the challenges i mean the the, the biggest challenge for most companies is still in the competition for subcontractors i mean every main contractor and developer layer is competing for the same subcontractors so competition for those companies is still a big factor i suppose again just to stay on the point of esg that's probably the the the, the, the singular biggest challenge that's new to everybody is is around around esg and I suppose you, you, it's a very good point you make because I think a lot of companies we talk to have only a high level awareness or very little awareness of the current regulations that were published in July of this year that will come into effect early next year. And so, you know, there's a whole awareness piece, there's a whole education and knowledge piece there that seems to be missing at the moment. And there's lots of good consultants that we work with, and we're trying to sort of make people aware of this without kind of frightening people about it or scaremongering. But you know, there's, it, but the interesting thing is that ultimately that the corporations are going to have to report on this. And actually, the requirements are bringing in the financial teams. It's all about the financial teams doing the reporting. So that's all going to come in. So as part of the financial reporting that any company has to, the CSRD is going to be a critical part of that. So you just can't get away from that. The danger is, is that people are going to get caught out and they're not going to be able to issue those reports in a way that satisfy the requirements, which won't just have issues for them from a winning jobs point of view or, or satisfying clients. From a corporate and, and governance point of view, to go back to your point, they're not going to be able to meet those requirements. And as, as a company, if you can't meet your corporate and governance requirements, that's a whole world of pain that you don't want to be in. Are you still speaking to contractors who aren't on track to do that? I would say that the vast majority of contractors have a long way to go in relation to being able to satisfy that. I've no doubt that the bigger companies you know, are getting there and the companies we know we're talking to, but they will get there in some shape or form because they will have to. But it's still a big challenge. And the supply chain is the really, really difficult bit. You know, it's, it's, it's no longer 
going to be enough to say we as our own corporation are complying with all the ESG requirements. Um, you know, you can't, it'll be no longer, you know, possible to say, we promise you that our supply chain will do it when we bring them on board. You're going to have to prove that they're able to do it. You're going to have to prove it in advance of them coming on site. And that's going to be difficult because the challenge will be for the supply chain is that, you know, even in the UK and also in Ireland, the vast majority of subcontractors in Ireland, I think it's something like 90% of the companies who operate as subcontractors, both in Ireland and in the UK, have less than 20 people. And they don't have a big back of house uh, staff to help them with all this. You know, they struggle with the regular day-to-day compliance around insurances and health and safety. Like ESG is going to dwarf that. So those companies actually need to be given the solution. There's no point beating up the supply chain saying you have to give us this because they won't be able to give it. And then if they can't give it the information, they can't do the job. And if they can't do the job, well, there won't be enough people to do the work. Um, no. Rob, that, that's a really interesting stat. I hadn't, I, um, we actually are trying to do a body of work around SMEs involved in construction and it's really difficult to pull that information together. So I hadn't come across the stat that, um, that of the, the supply chain, that the, the majority of those are made up of uh, less than 20 people. Is, yeah. is that an um, Irish stat? No, that that's, that's you know a lot of these these stats are kind of colloquial and people publish mm. different ways. But my own experience from talking to companies is that that's not far off the truth, because people sometimes looking in from the outside in think that you know you see all these big companies and they have thousands of employees, but you know all of that work is subcontracted out and sub mm. subcontracted out. And people sometimes say to me, Rob, but the day the man in the van is gone, there's all these big sophisticated contractors with big flashy hoardings and all you know, they, and that's that's true. The, the contracts have become much more sophisticated, but they're still relying on the man in the van. And you might be four vans with 20 men, but you know, that's still a small company that will struggle with things like ESG and, and everything else coming down the line at them. That, you know, that's a really good point. It's amazing um, that sometimes, particularly when we're looking at some of the larger projects and some of the really well-known brands now in construction, you kind of, um, it's really important to keep front and centre that actually the business of construction, while it has changed, it still comes down to managing risk and managing people. Um, you know, it, uh, and that's, that has always been at the core and remains at the core. So that's a really uh, strong point to note. Uh, for anybody who is interested and wants to learn more, where can they find out more about Supplyo and contact your team? Yeah, so uh, anybody can visit our, our uh, website, uh, supplyo.io. Um, anybody can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm quite a regular on LinkedIn. And uh, if anybody wants to direct message me on LinkedIn, they can. And uh, or they can email me directly directly at rob.fox at supplyo.io. Super. Thank you very much. That was Rob Fox, CEO of Supplyo. Our thanks to show producer Katie Tallon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. And thank you to Place Engage for making these conversations possible. And of course, thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of Breaking Ground. In the meantime, please be sure to check out all of the other Irish and international real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. <laughs>